Hey guys. <laughs> Good morning. Um, if you don't know me, I'm Matt, one of the pastors here at Essex Lions Church. Welcome online family. Essex, it's always good to be with you and I enjoyed to get to worship with you and uh, learn from God's word with you this morning. I just have a a couple things before we get into today's message I need to mention. Number one, Pastor Scott wanted just me to relay to you his thanks. Uh, he gets to serve on the board of directors for our denomination, and a couple times a year he travels to our national office to, to be a part of board meetings and to help steer our, our church and our denomination. And as he goes, he represents you, represents our church, represents New England in that capacity. So he just wants to say thank you for the joy and privilege of allowing him to uh, be a part of, uh, you know, the, our ch church family across the nation through our uh, national office. So that's a note from Scott. Number two, think back a couple weeks, June 12th, we had our Great Commission Day offering. You probably remember this. We were talking about it for weeks ahead of time. A day when we, uh, Essex Alliance Church, uh, you know, we're part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance and, and missionaries are middle name and we, we're committed to bringing uh, the gospel to the ends of the earth. And part of that is through our, um, our missionaries and international missions. There, We have over 700 international workers across the world working to bring the word of Jesus to uh, hard-to-reach places. And most of that ministry is funded through a central fund we call the Great Commission Fund. And uh, so we had this day across the Alliance called Great Commission Day where uh, we're asking Alliance churches to, hey, let's go a, a step further beyond our normal giving and see if we can boost up the resources we have so we can do more for uh, the name of Jesus across the world. So we did that on June 12th. And if you remember, our target number for giving for our uh, Essex campus online and North Ave, we were looking to... Uh, give $10,000 that day to go to the Great Commission Fund. Well, I have a number for you for how much you all gave. And uh, I'm just so blown away and happy to say, friends, that you gave almost $20,000 to the Great Commission Fund that day. So, yes. Yes. Uh, I think the number was 19800 something dollars. You, we almost doubled our goal, your generosity, your commitment to uh, the ministry of not only our church, but our denomination, and just the, the bringing the name of Jesus across the world. Uh, just thank you. Thank you for that. Um, so that's some good news. You know, uh, one more thing. This might take a moment, but I, I didn't do this in the first service, and that was probably a mistake, but I've been feeling a particular burden and not knowing what to say. Um, you know, we, we stand in a moment, a very interesting moment as a nation. I, you know, most of you know. Uh, the Supreme Court overturned the Roe versus Wade decision earlier, uh, I guess Friday. I was camping. I, was, I got back late last night, so coming back into places where there's service, I'm try, I've been trying to catch up on what happened and the commentary of it. So I, I'm tired and I've been trying to read and pray about it as much as possible and, and just trying to wading into the waters of a very sticky uh, situation because, you know, I, I'm feeling this tension. On the one hand, life is good. And, uh, you know, I think there's good in this decision and that is preserving life from the moment of conception. And there's, there's good truth to that. But there's also some of you coming in today maybe feeling a little differently than that. And you are part of this church and part of, uh, you know, this, this family. And I want uh, to know where you're at and, and know just the, the nuances and the ripple effect and how this sort of decision disproportionately affects minorities and, and people in poverty and, and just all the other things. And I don't quite understand that and know that yet. And I'm, I, wanna, I want to. I want to understand and I'm standing in this, uh, this moment of tension where I'm, I'm like, yes, life is good and we need to preserve it. And, but there's other ways we need to preserve life as well. And I just want to say, church, I don't want to comment on political things or, you know, anything like that. I'm feeling, you know, I'm not the lead pastor of this church, so it's a very weird place to be in coming up here on this Sunday and trying to say something. But also, like, church, we have an opportunity to care for people in every moment, in every hard situation, not just when it comes to babies being born, but with people as they grow and go through hard times and just need, need someone and something to help. So church, I just want to let you know that I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that as one of your pastors. 
I'm feeling this great tension and joy and privilege to be able to say to us that let's work for life in all aspects and all facets to enhance, to increase, to preserve, and to bring people into a life of eternity with Jesus, however that looks. Um, as we get there with them. So, uh, you know, I didn't prepare anything that I'm saying. This is just bleh coming out. But I just want you to know that, um, you know, we believe in life from start to finish and beyond. And I'm sure Pastor Scott will have more wiser things to say than I do right now. But I just want uh, to take a moment now to say that and to pray because I also, uh, I believe in life, but I also believe in... Um, you know, I don't know how to say this quite right, but I, I, I hate the division and the tension and the anger and the polarization. And I think we all need to find some places to come together and say, hey, can we work together for life in different ways across whatever, you know, way you want to think about a spectrum. So I don't know. I just vomited out some things, but I do want to pray um, and just ask God to heal us, heal our, our land, heal us individually, and help us to move forward in a better way for his glory. So let's pray. God, um, help us. Help us. Oh, God, help us. In our anger and frustration, help us. When we don't know what to do, help us. In our fear, help us. And Lord, wherever we see the need to make life better, to preserve life, to help people, to protect people, help us to step in to tricky situations, deep waters, to work on behalf of our fellow man, to <laughs> work towards life, enjoy in that life. And Lord, help us to bring you and your truth and your gospel and your healing and your joy and your life to people who desperately need you. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I hope, <laughs> please, I hope you're not mad at me, that's all. Um, <laughs> thanks. I, uh, so I prepared this message earlier this week, like I said, I was camping, so we're gonna, it's gonna be a tone shift, so just let's just shift tone, let's get into it, let's do it. All right, uh, church, you're probably looking at me this morning, uh, wondering what's different about Matt. Some of you are thinking, Matt, your hair's getting longer, you look a little unkempt. Well, hey, that's, I'm an unkempt guy, that's okay, but that's not it. But you nailed it. My glasses are gone. I'm not wearing glasses today, and just a personal note, I'm happy. I'm never going to wear glasses again. I had my eyes lasered a few weeks ago, and I got to say, yeah, you can clap for my eyes, I don't know, but I got to say, uh, it's been awesome. I just like wake up, and I'm like, this is how some people live? You just... <laughs> You just wake up and see things? It's amazing. Um, so, uh, you know, the last couple of years of ma masking and, you know, you guys know who wear glasses, just the fogging up constantly. It's I just, I started to think about it. And finally, as summer was approaching, I said, you know what? I want my summer to be summer to the max. So I went for a consult and we said, hey, let's do it. And I did it. And it's just amazing. So, uh, no more glasses, prescription sunglasses. Should I put in my contacts today? Will I go to the beach later? Am I going to go to the gym and work out? I don't want to wear glasses and sweat like in my glasses. So, you know, now summer's here and it is, uh, it's great to have uh, laser vision <laughs> in my eyes because I love summer. I love summer. That's why I endure winter because <laughs> summer is so, so very sweet and I'm, I'm excited I'm excited just to have this new mode for myself, this new glasses-less mode as, uh, as I live my summer life. You know, like I said, our family just got back from camping. We were away for a few days at Elmore. 
And um, it was a totally new experience without glasses, not having to find them, figure out what I'm wearing, all that stuff. And I'm looking forward to more of that this summer, to biking, camping trips, beach days, taking full advantage of summer in every sense, sort of in this new mode that I've got going on without glasses. And I know many of you are looking forward to taking full advantage of summer as well. You've got plans, you've got lazy days, you've got bonfires and beach days and vacations, all of that. And uh, summer is just the best, especially in Vermont. We got the lake, we got the mountains, we got everything in between. It is wonderful. I do believe in my heart of hearts that God gave us summer as a gift to enjoy. So I hope, I hope you enjoy your summer. I really, really do. But... While you take time this summer for whatever it is that you have planned, I'd also like to encourage you with these words, don't waste your summer. Don't waste your summer. Uh, we're going to take a two-week break from this uh, current sermon series Pastor Scott's been preaching through called Church More Than a Building, where we've been looking through uh, the book of Acts and sort of the start of this thing we call the church and how we got from uh, those few followers uh, in the days after Jesus' ascension to where we are today. Um, Last week, if you think back, if you were here, if you, turn, if you tuned in last week, you'll remember maybe that Scott uh, talked about the Apostle Paul. Let's sort of talk through Paul's life as we see it uh, unfold through Scripture. How Jesus encountered Paul, and he went from being Saul, the Pharisee and persecutor of this Jesus movement, the church, to Paul, the apostle, the church planter, the evangelist who went across the world, the whole Roman Empire, to tell people about Jesus and start churches. The very thing he was trying to stop, that became his life and his call. Now, as Scott mentioned last week, Paul, his life likely ended in the city of Rome in the mid-60s AD. He was arrested in uh, he was arrested by the Jewish authorities for sort of upsetting the status quo and preaching Jesus and not stopping. And uh, so Paul, being a Roman citizen as well, appealed to Caesar. It was his right to say, hey, I'd rather be tried by Caesar in Rome than by you guys who are definitely going to kill me. So let's go to Rome. So he did that and he went to Rome. And it was in Rome that he waited for a couple years likely before he was able to go before Caesar for his trial. And while he was in Rome for those couple years, Paul, he wasn't just roaming about the city. No, he was waiting in prison. He was then likely found guilty by the Christian-hating Emperor Nero and beheaded. Now, one thing Paul did throughout his life was he wrote letters. And many of these letters he wrote to churches. Churches... He knew and he established and he knew the people and the leaders there and some churches he didn't know except by reputation. And they might write him a letter because they knew who Paul was and say, Paul, we got this situation. We can't figure it out. Can you help us? And he'd write a letter back saying, here's why you're going to deal with it and how you're going to deal with it. And that's how many of the letters we have in our New Testament were written. Um, and he mostly wrote from the road as he traveled around, but some of his letters he wrote while he was in prison. Four of the books in our Bible are often called the prison letters. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, the prison letters, because these four letters Paul wrote probably all around the same time while he was in prison in Rome, awaiting his trial before Caesar. And most scholars would agree this imprisonment before his trial wasn't quite what you picture, kind of behind bars or in a dank cell. No, this was more like a house arrest situation. Still in prison, possibly chained up to a guard, at least under the watch of a guard. But he was able to receive, uh, send out for groceries, receive correspondence, even have visitors. But he was always under the watchful eye of the guard that was there with him. He was indeed in prison. Now... I got to say, honestly, like, if you take away the whole waiting for trial and being beheaded thing, it doesn't sound like a bad deal, right? Don't have to leave the house. 
I can send out for food. People can come visit. I don't have my wife or kids needing anything from me, just some alone time sitting around. I consider that, you know, maybe we could use the word vacation. I don't know. It sounds pretty nice. But Paul had every excuse during this time to not be productive. He was just under house arrest, right? He had every excuse to unplug, to rest. You know, he'd had a long, hard life, what God called him to do, constantly on the road. He was uh, continuing to work for the mission that God called him to as people rejected him and as he tried to argue and reason with them, people turned their back on him. He was threatened. He was stoned. He was ridiculed. He had a hard life. And in this house arrest, Paul could have unplugged and said, ah, I'm just waiting for my trial, put my feet up for a little while. He had every excuse to unplug and rest, but that's not what he did. He continued to work for the mission and the life that God called him to. Now, summer is a great time, right? It's, a, it's the best time. Kids, you're out of school. Parents, I feel the pain of that, but you know, it's good. And uh, for many of us, life and work kind of slow down a little. There's vacations and day trips and beach days and barbecues. And many of us have a different life rhythm during the summer months. We waste more time. It's slower. It's a little less productive. And that's good. And that's necessary. And if you can slow down this summer, I encourage you, slow down and do it. But at the same time, I don't want you to waste your summer. Time off does not have to be time wasted. Now, toward the end of one of the letters that Paul wrote during his house arrest, the letter to the Colossians, he wraps up his instructions to this church with these words in uh, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Let's read them. It says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for your message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Excuse me. So Paul's writing this from his imprisonment, this time when he could have just taken his excuse to, to forget about the mission, to unplug, to rest, to stop caring. But he doesn't do that. So as we begin summer, a time for when many of us unplug, I want to take these two weeks to kind of dig into these few verses here and, and see how we can use our summer. Yes, to unplug, to rest, to do all those fun things, but to still at the same time not let it go to waste. Don't waste your summer in the spiritual sense. Take time off, but don't take time off from your faith. Unplug, but don't unplug from God. And during these times when things slow down a bit, we have the opportunity to focus in on some of the practices and mindsets that really enhance our faith and lay a foundation for us. So when things pick up and get busy again, we can, you know, we've established these rhythms and have this foundation to, to stand on. So in these verses in Colossians, Paul mentions a few things that I think if we lean into during the summer months, our summer won't be wasted. So uh, we're going to get into that. We're going to just look at verses two and four, or two through four this week, uh, from what we just read. And next week we'll focus in on verses five and six. So, church, you don't want to waste your summer. Here we go. Let me read verses two through four once more from Colossians chapter four, where we're told, "Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message." so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So there's really one big idea in these verses that stands out to me, and maybe it does to you as well, and that's the word prayer. Prayer. It's a fairly simple thing. As Paul wraps up this letter to the Colossians, he reminds us to pray. But not just remember to pray now and then, to pray uh, regularly, to make it a priority. 
Now, here's the thing about prayer. It's a great thing about prayer is that prayer is not heavy lifting. It's not hard. Prayer can happen anytime and anywhere. Uh, you don't need anything special to make it happen. You don't need to light a candle. You don't need a pastor or priest present. You don't need to wear a special robe or anything like that. You don't need to even need to be in the church building. And you don't need to make a sacrifice at an altar to pray to God. No, you don't have to do that. You can just pray. You can just do it from your back deck, from the beach, on your commute to work, or maybe more importantly, on your commute home from work, you can pray. Prayer is a simple thing, and yet it's kind of a, can be kind of vague. Because prayer takes many forms across many different faith traditions. We see it done in different ways. So I just want to take a minute to very generally define, uh, give a definition for prayer, and what prayer means for Christians. So uh, let me try to do that. What exactly is prayer? Well, how you answer that question, what is prayer, is going to depend a lot on how you view God. So if you view God as God's not real, then prayer is it's not really anything. Maybe at the most, it's kind of self-discovery and meditation. That prayer becomes kind of about me and figuring out who I am and what I want, if you can call that prayer. Uh, if you view God as real, but kind of disconnected and, and not concerned with human affairs, just kind of set things in motion and he's sitting back on his throne, kind of kicking his feet up. Prayer is mostly a desperate thing. And cry out in moments like, God, if you're listening, if you're there. And prayer really just is kind of the last, <laughs> the last gasp. It comes from a place of desperation. Now, if you view God as a, like a benevolent force who exists to make your life better, prayer looks more like a vending machine. Like you put your quarters in and you press the right buttons and you hope that your bag of chips doesn't get stuck in the coil as it comes out. It becomes about you and what you want for your life. Now, if you view God as king, which he is, then you are his servant and prayer is mostly about discerning his will and pleasing him. And that's not untrue, because God is indeed king. We do indeed serve him. But I want to go a step further, because according to scripture, God is more than our king. He is our father, and we are his children. Uh, a few verses just to kind of make this point. Here's Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16, which says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit means we feel it, that we are God's children. God is Father, we are his children. So how we define prayer, we have to define it based on this relationship. Father and child. Now, let me throw in a couple other verses to kind of help us get the ball rolling in defining prayer. James 4, uh, verse 8, the first part says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. There's closeness, there's intimacy, there's nearness in this relationship. And here's another one, John 15. These are the words of Jesus as he talks to his followers. He says, Abide in me, abide, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's abiding, living with, dwelling with each other. So what is prayer? Well, for Christians, for anyone who has said yes to following God and believes that Jesus died and on the third day rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. 
God is our father. We are his children. There's intimacy. There's love. There's abiding. God is with us and we're with him. There's closeness. So uh, kind of based on all these things, here's my definition for prayer. I'm just going to throw it up. This is, this is just me, my definition. So that prayer is conversation and encounter with the living God. Prayer is conversation and encounter with the living God. It's conversation. It's back and forth. It's talking and, friends, listening. Expressing our hearts, our desires, and allowing him to speak back. Waiting on him. Watching for how he answers. And it's an encounter. It's not just talking at God, but it's encountering God, experiencing him, abiding with him. There's closeness, remember. Our lives change through prayer. Our hearts change. Our minds change. When he speaks and when we watch to see how he will answer, we wait on him and we recognize him and how he works. So generally speaking, that's how I define prayer for the Christian, that prayer is in conversation and encounter with the living God. And that can be done anytime, anywhere, with anyone. It's not heavy lifting, but it is necessary. So Paul encourages us to pray and to make it a priority. Now, I want to go back into the verses that we read to look more specifically at how Paul is encouraging us to pray. Prairie in general, yes, that's good, but the way he talks about prayer in these verses gets a little more specific about the how and the for what that we need to pray. So let's, let's, take, a, let's take a look, let's read them again, and then we'll get into it. So again, it says, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. There's five words. Five words that I want to use to help define what we're being told about how to pray in these verses. Five words that I think will help us understand how to pray and not waste our summer. Three words that Paul uses and then two words I'm going to use to help kind of figure out what Paul's saying. So five words, devote, watchful, thankful, intercession, and opportunity. Five words. First word is the word devote. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. What does it mean to devote yourself to prayer? Well, the word used here, devote, as the NIV translated it, uh, in the original Greek, uh, means to be constant with something, to adhere to it, to continue it at all times. So this word isn't a start and stop, in and out kind of thing. It means really to always be praying, always, all the time, not stopping. And Paul repeats this idea in other letters of his, to be constantly praying, to, to pray without ceasing. That seems like a lot. It seems pretty intense. Now, I recognize I just said that prayer is not heavy lifting, but devoting yourself to prayer, to always be praying, that seems a little like heavy lifting, right? If, I, if I'm praying constantly all summer, I'm not going to have time for anything else. I'm just going to be praying. What, what's, what am I going to do? But don't worry, it's going to be okay. Back to our definition. Prayer is conversation and encounter with the living God. It's about this relationship and abiding together as father and child. Prayer let me say, can be done with or without words. Devote yourselves to prayer. First, yes, use your words. Get in the habit of talking to God. Carve out regular, steady, accessible times to talk to God throughout your day. And then maybe you find yourself in a moment with nothing going on. You can pick up the conversation again. Keep talking to him. But prayer isn't just limited to using words. Basil the Great, Saint Basil the Great, he was a monk who lived during the fourth century, one of the church fathers. He was instrumental in defending Christianity against some pretty intense uh, issues and, and heresies during that time. During one of his sermons, he said this. You'll see it on the screen. He said, we should not express our prayer merely in syllables, but the power of prayer should be expressed in the moral attitude of our soul and in the virtuous actions that extend throughout our life. 
This is how you pray continually, not by offering prayer in words, but by joining yourself to God through your whole way of life so that your life becomes one continuous and uninterrupted prayer, one continuous conversation and encounter. To be devoted to prayer means that, yes, we pray with words and we pray with words often, but it also means that our life becomes a sort of prayer. How you think, how you act can be done along with God who, as we read, abides with us. He is with us always. So everything we think, everything we do is with him, encountered with him. And it's, that's not easy to kind of get in that mindset and get in those habits. And it's, it's not something we're likely to get good at. It's just not. But it's something that we can aspire to and work at and strive for. And by the power of his abiding spirit with us, we might see ourselves grow into it as we devote ourselves to prayer with words. Praying with words has an effect beyond what we are petitioning for. Because it puts us in that conversation mode. In that mindset. And when we pray regularly with words, that kind of bleeds over into our thinking and our acting. It gives us a new awareness of the fact that God is close. So I just say simply, church, live into that. Pray regularly with words and watch that start to change how you act, how you think, how you live. God is alongside of you. He is. So start by taking those set-aside intentional moments to talk to him with words and see how that changes you. Second word prayer Paul uses about prayer is the word watchful. He says, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful. Now the word watchful could mean a couple of things, which I think are equally true in the way it's used in this verse. First, be watchful in prayer could mean watch for how your prayers are answered. Pray, and when you do, expect that God's going to show up and answer them and keep an eye out for how he does. There's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing like seeing your prayers get answered and recognizing it when it does. It's such an encouragement. You know, our church, our college and young adult group, we meet on Monday nights. If you want to get more information on that, go to Church Center. You can find information, sign up there. So check that out. But we end our time together every Monday night with a time of prayer. Sometimes there's 10 of us, sometimes there's 25 of us, and we sit around and we just say, what can we be praying for? And we share those prayers with each other, and then we take the time to pray for one another and what we've shared in our group there. And sometimes I'm good at uh, going up to people who've asked for prayer a couple weeks later and saying, hey, we prayed for that thing, how's that going? And getting to hear the story and maybe how God answered it, or maybe they're still waiting. But, you know, just my failure is that I always forget to open that up to the group and say, hey... We've been praying for each other. How have you seen God answer the prayers that we've been praying for? But despite my failures in that way, every now and then, someone from the group will chime up and say, hey, guys, remember when we prayed for this thing? Well, here's how God answered, and here's what happened. And we, it's such an encouragement to get to sit there and hear those stories of how God has showed up and answered the prayers that we, we prayed. It's one of the great moments and joys is getting to share in those prayers being answered together. It's a joy to watch God answer prayers. So keep a watchful and expectant eye when you do pray. Uh, this word watchful could also mean to be awake, to keep alert. And many scholars connect this watchful praying with being ready for Jesus' return. Not in the sense of where you're watching for him and counting, you know, the signs and the stars and trying to figure out the timing that Jesus is going to come back. More watchful in the way where we're making sure we're ready for when he does come. It means to watch your own life and your own heart and to let this watchfulness, this alertness motivate how you pray. Pray often and pray deeply because he's coming. So my wife, Taylor, she is an event coordinator for a company that uh, plans these big medical conferences for these associations of surgeons and this and that, very you know, high-end kind of fancy stuff she does. So she travels a few times a year to uh, work these conferences that she plans and all that. Um, 
a couple weeks ago, she was away for a work on a site visit. Now, a site visit is the fun part of the job. So she works for these surgeons, right? And they're, they're not going to the Holiday Inn in Scranton. Not that anything's wrong with Scranton. Uh, but we're talking, we're talking nice, nice. So she goes on these site visits. Uh, and a site visit is she's going ahead of time to scope out the venue, right? To make sure the facilities are up to par. They have what they need so they can, you know, figure out what they need to bring on their end and, and uh, you know, contract and talk all that stuff. And um, the hotels want the business, right? We want your conference to come here because that's big money. So, uh, so what do they do when Taylor goes on a site visit representing her clients? They take care of Taylor. They take care of her. I mean, free meals, complimentary spa treatments, poolside service, like, it's just... It's not fair, right? She's the works. And uh, this last site visit, she went, uh, she left the last day of school. So she left just a couple hours before uh, I had to pick up our two boys, uh, Jack, the second grader, and Levi, the kindergartner, from school. So now it's just me at the beginning of summer with these two boys, just all that summer energy that like a six and eight-year-old bring to the table, right? Ah, let's go. So we had a blast, the boys, the dudes hanging out. And, uh, but when mom's gone, it's just the dudes, uh, there's less attention to some things, right? <laughs> there's less attention to things like, like vacuuming or, uh, <laughs> or the toilet seat getting put up or, um, <laughs> or dishes. And there's uh, more attention to things like Domino's pizza, right? So that's like how we, it's like, it's like a frat house at the Baumgartner house when mom's gone. There's juice boxes and, you know, pizza crust and it's just a, it's a blast. So uh, here's Jack, dad, and Levi. We're living the greasy dude life. Now, now we all know mom can't come home to that. We all know it. We can't, she can't walk in the door to that. Not because not she's like a particular neat freak or anything like that, but uh, just because I don't want the judgment, right? I don't want to hear it. Why is it when you're away, everything's done, but when I'm away, you know, I just, I know, I know, I'm a slob, I don't, I don't need that in my life, just, I get it, I know. So, uh, so she was getting home uh, late one night, I think it was Wednesday, she was coming home late Wednesday evening, and so what was Wednesday day? It was, it was cleanup time. We're getting ready for mom, like, let's get the dishes done, let's vacuum, and just put the toys away, kids, please just put the toys away, put the toys away, kids, put them away, just over and over. So uh, cleanup day was Wednesday. Um, you know, it helps to know when she's returning, because like, we can just live our life and be slobs, and you know, and, and then Wednesday comes, like, all right, last minute, tornado, clean it all up. But if she had left and said, so like, hey, Matt, I, don't, we don't, I might be home Monday, I might be home Wednesday, could be next week, I don't know when I'm going to be back, that would probably change how we operated that week, right? Uh, use a dish, clean a dish, right? <laughs> Take a shower, kids. Come on, might be home in the morning. <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, it would, we'd make sure that things were kept in order as best we could so she could walk in the door at any minute and, you know, don't get that. Don't get that mom judgment coming my way. Now, I'm not equating Taylor to Jesus, although she is great, but I, to make the point, we don't, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know. Could be now. Could be now. We don't know. We don't know. So we need to be watchful, alert, and ready so when he comes, we don't miss out. Being watchful in prayer is to be motivated to pray often and to pray deeply so we stay ready for him to come so we don't miss out. It's being watchful. The third word that Paul uses in this verse is the word thankful. He says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Well, thankful for what and thankful to who? Uh, shouldn't be surprising, but thankful to God. <laughs> and thankful for what? I, I kind of think about it in layers. So like the first layer is thankful that I'm alive. I have breath in my lungs. My heart is beating. Thankful. Second layer is thankful for Jesus, for my salvation, for his death, resurrection, and that that can never be taken away, that that happened no matter what. And the third layer, the top layer, thankful for the ways that I've gotten to see God work in my life and the prayers I've gotten to watch him answer. Thankful for that. Really just thankful for everything. Our encounters and conversations with the living God are marked by thankfulness. 
It's really the starting point for our relationship with him, being thankful. Thankful for what he's done. Giving us life. Thankful for salvation. And for continuing to be active and present in our lives. Thankful is the right disposition when we come to God. Now, there are times where maybe we're not feeling thankful. Maybe we're frustrated. We're angry. Or, God, I've prayed that prayer so many times and you haven't showed up yet. And we feel frustrated with that. And that's not bad to come to God with those feelings. It's actually good. The Bible encourages us, come to him. Come to him with that but we can still be thankful for what he's done. Maybe we're feeling frustrated with something on that top level. We haven't seen him answer that prayer, but we can still be thankful that he sent Jesus. We still be thankful that we're alive. We can be thankful even when we're mad about what he hasn't yet done, we can be thankful for what he has done. So thankful in our prayers. Fourth word I wanna use to talk about prayer in these verses, so the word I'm using is the word intercession. Kind of a big word. Now, when we talk about prayer, intercession simply means praying on behalf of someone else, interceding for them. Pray for us, Paul says in verse three. Pray for us. He's asking for this church to pray for him and his ministry and the ministry of his coworkers, us, people like Timothy, who are part of Paul's life and we see pop up through scripture. That's intercession. Pray for us. Pray for me. Let me read verses three and four again, where he says, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. If the ministry of the church is going to be effective, the church needs to pray for both the ministry and the people leading those ministries. Paul asked the church to pray for him and his co-workers, his fellow ministry leaders. He doesn't ask them to pray that he would get out of prison. Rather, he asked the church to pray that he would be able to continue to be effective in his ministry. He prays asks for prayer for open doors to the message and to be able to clearly articulate the message. Paul knows prayer works, and he knows his ministry will be much more effective if the church is interceding in prayer for him. I mean, ask any pastor, ask any church leader, and they'll agree with Paul. We need your prayers. Ministry won't be effective unless people are praying. You don't want to waste your summer. I'd say commit to praying regularly for our church's ministries and maybe more specifically for the leaders of those ministries. So let me offer three ways that you can do that this summer. Three simple ways. Number one is just pick someone to pray for. Pick someone. Just pick someone. Write their name down. One person. Maybe one of our pastors, one of our elders or our staff members. Or pray for one of the volunteers that your, uh, your kids are with in the kids' ministry. Or the, the volunteer who opened the door for you when you walked in the church this morning. Pick someone to pray for this summer. Doesn't matter who it is. Write their name down, stick it on your fridge, stick it in one of the pages of your Bible, somewhere where you'll see it and it'll remind you, oh yeah, I'm gonna pray for whoever it is. Pray for them. And if you're one of those leaders who's leading a ministry, pick someone else to pray for. Pick for one of your co-leaders or minister, uh, volunteers or, or someone. Pick someone to pray for who's leading in ministry. That's the first thing you can do. Second thing you can do to uh, pray this summer for uh, ministry is to pray for our missions partners. You know, our church, Essex Alliance Church, we have uh, partnerships through our denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And one of those partnerships, we're kind of in the beginning stages and starting to establish, is with the country of Paraguay and the ministry that's going on down there. In the lobby, you'll find this card uh, in some of the displays. And if you're looking at the cards, it's the one that says in big letters, Paraguay on it. So you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't miss it, Paraguay. Um, and on the back, there's a list of things you can be praying for, for the mission and the ministry in Paraguay. Find this in the lobby, grab one of these cards, again, take it home with you and put it somewhere where you're going to see it and remember to pray for the mission and the ministry that's going on in the country of Paraguay. 
who we have a partnership with in ministry. So pray for our... There's also uh, many of our missions partners have email lists you can get on that they send updates and requests regularly for what's going on in the ministry month to month. So you can sign up for those as well. Uh, You can find ways to do that. So grab one of those cards. Third way you can pray is, uh, you know... In uh, a little over a week, we've got a fairly large group of students from our church family heading to this thing called Life Conference. Trevor mentioned it in the announcements. Um, Life Conference, in case you're not familiar, it's our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance. Every three years, we have this big conference for Alliance churches all over the country for our high schoolers to come together for a week for worship, to hear from speakers, to go to seminars, to serve. And it's a, uh, for many, it's a life-changing moment where these students dig in with God in a new way. And for many of them, it's also a moment when they hear God call them into some sort of ministry, vocational ministry, missions, pastorate, or otherwise. This is a big moment. On your way in, you may have gotten one of these cards. Maybe it's in your hand right now. If not, on our info desk, you can find some more. On this card is the name of all the students that are going to life in just a, you know, a little over a week. Pray for them. Pray that they would hear what God has to say and they would have the courage to step into what God is saying to them. Because this really does have the opportunity to be a big life-changing moment. And on the back, there's some more specific things you can pray for. And I used to be a youth pastor. I've taken groups to life conference before. Um, this category that says leaders right here, uh, make sure you pray for them too. <laughs> uh, pray for Russ <laughs> and Bree, Pastor Russ. Pray for Grady. Pray for Connor and Chris and Noah and the other Chris <laughs> and Kiara because they're going to need it. It's so fun and it's so tiring and they're going to be ministering to these students. So grab one of these cards. Pray for the students as they go. Pray for the leaders as they go. This is a great way to be interceding, praying for our church family and the ministry that's going to take place. They need your prayers. So take time to pray for them. Grab those cards on your way out. Prayer works. You need to support our ministries in prayer. Final word I want to use is the word opportunity. The prayers that Paul asked for, open doors, being able to clearly proclaim the message. Those prayers shouldn't be limited to Paul or to pastors or just to church leaders. Those are prayers we should be praying for ourselves. Every Christian is called and commissioned by God to bring the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. We all have people in our lives that don't know Jesus and desperately need him. We all have those people, a neighbor, a friend, a family member, coworker. But I know, I know it can be hard to know when the time is right to bring it up. And, you know, you don't want to scare people away or you don't want to say something dumb. You don't want to be rejected and laughed at or anything like that. I get it. I feel, I feel those things too. I know. And it can be hard to know when the time is right or what the right words might be. And that's why we need to pray about it. God opens doors for the gospel and he will empower you in that moment. Prayer works. And honestly, like, I believe this in my, in my heart. I don't think there's a prayer that God loves to answer more than when we pray for opportunity to talk about him. I really believe that. So pray for open doors for the right person at the right time. God will prepare the way. God will work in the timing as well as that person, their heart and their mind, to be ready to hear the message of Jesus. And when God prepares the way, you don't have to fear because he's doing it with you. And he's worked in them and he will work in you to give you the right words, to give you the courage and the joy as you take the opportunity you've prayed for. So this summer, church, I just say pray for opportunity. Summer often finds us in new places with new people. We're often in out of the normal rhythms of our life. And with that comes new and different opportunities. So 
pray for those opportunities. Open doors, clear message. God is faithful. And he loves when we pray for those opportunities. So next week, we're going to finish up the passage, talk about verses 5 and 6, and maybe a little more specifically about what to do and how to take advantage of those opportunities when they come. But for this week, I'm just going to simply say it again. Pray. Pray. Don't waste your summer. Pray. Doesn't take much. It's, it's not heavy lifting. Pray regularly. Pray with expectation. And let your life, whether you're talking or not, be a sort of prayer to God. And pray for our church leaders in our ministries. Pick someone you know who's leading in the ministry of our church, pastor, elder, staff member, volunteer, and pray for them this summer. Just pick one person and pray for them regularly this summer. Grab those cards, Paraguay, life card. Grab those on your way out. Pray for those students and for that trip. And uh, pray for yourself, for those opportunities to share Jesus and to step into what God has called us and commissioned us to do. Pray for open doors. You know, summer is awesome. It's here. I don't know if you noticed. (laughs) It's hot and it's here. I hope you do indeed waste a lot of time this summer, but don't let it go to waste. Take the opportunity to converse with and encounter the living God in a new way. So uh, we'll see you back next week, church. Would you stand and let's close in prayer. God, I just want to say thank you. Thank you that you're accessible, that you tell us to talk to you and uh, you talk back. You answer prayers. This prayer works. You listen and you act because you are concerned. You are active. You are king. You are father. You abide with us and you love us. Thank you. And God, as we go today, would you help us to see the opportunities before us? Give us the the mind and the thought to pray for those opportunities, to step into them. And Lord, would we just be blown away by how you worked in the midst of those opportunities? We thank you, God, that you've called us to a life that's not just sit back and wait, but it's active and it's moving and you, you you want us to be a part of what you're doing. And so much of that starts with prayer. So Lord, remind us to pray this week and in the coming weeks. And would we see you at work in new ways, big and small, like we never have before. Thank you, God, for who you are, what you've done, what you've yet to do. Help us in our prayer life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. Great to be with you today. Take those cards. God bless you as you go.